This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. As a Bridge Architect partner, Quad Graphics will be sending 35 attendees from their amazing team to be with us for the How to Be an Ally Summit to learn more about how to create inclusive workplaces. We've had the chance to partner with Quad Graphics on a number of different things and are so delighted to see how much commitment the leadership team continues to show towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are doing the hard work that it takes to bring people along in their individual and collective journeys. Lastly, a huge shout out to Quad Graphics for also not just being a sponsor, but also allowing us to utilize their auditorium for the March 2022 Summit. We are so grateful to have them as partners at the How to Be an Ally Virtual Summit this year. Alcra is showing up and leading the way of creating an organization and culture necessary to achieve their long-term vision. It's with this vision in mind that they have decided to be a bridge builder partner for our How to Be an Ally Summit. This is the highest level of partnership offered, and we are so excited to aid in preparing their over 150 attendees to be intentional allies. They have shown again and again that they are committed to making sure that they can foster a workplace that promotes open-mindedness, cultural awareness, and respect. They've demonstrated that commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we are so proud to be able to walk alongside this amazing team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact Podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer. And I am Deanna Singh, the Chief Change Agent for Uplifting Impact. And we're excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive So today what we're going to do is we are going to do this episode a little bit differently because it's Valentine's Day, y'all. And so by the hearts on the shirt. (laughs) I was trying to dress the pot. If those of you who are watching and not just listening, but those of you who are listening, I have a shirt full of pots. Um, We thought that it would be so fun to just have a conversation about love and DEI. And we, you know, we're super excited about this because for those of you who don't know, Justin and I have been married for 16 years, right? 16 years. I always get the the math wrong in my head. Because we've been best friends since we were 10. Yeah. So So, we've been official on paper, but it feels like we've been together for much longer than that. Yes. And I think that one of the things that we always love to talk about in our family and in our home is just about how much I think our love and and what we've learned about each other and our marriage Mm. has so much intersection with what we do in DEI. But it's not just because we're married. It's also because there is this thread of love that comes through DEI. And I think we don't talk about it as much as we really should. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about in love and DEI. So welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. And we're going to kick it off, Justin, actually with you, because no. I know that you've They've been... got questions prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 
sure what it is. So it's going to be interesting. All right, <laughs> let's go. Well, the reason why I wanted to kick it off with you mm-hmm. is because I know that you've been doing a lot of like reading. Uh, you don't know this about Justin, but if you want to find Justin in his happy place or you want to help him get there, you just have to put a book in his hand. And he is like so incredibly happy. But I know that lately the books that you've been picking up and reading and the ones that are scattered all over the house have a lot to do with love and DEI. And so I was wondering if maybe you could share a couple of the titles that you've been, you know, reading, but then also just some of the things you've been learning. Yeah, and I started thinking about it because we talk a lot in DEI about diversity, equity, inclusion, and about the need to make room for different types of people and for understanding and for challenging biases and for fostering empathy. And these are very commonly often things that kind of fall under the umbrella of maybe the largest virtue being love. And of course, we don't, I think a reason why we don't talk about DEI as love is because at least in the United States, we have a very specific and often misinformed definition of what love is, where we completely focus just on romantic love. Mm-hmm. And with that definition, of course, it sounds even strange talking about DEI as love or love in the workplace, because we think about it as only romantic love. Also, there's probably something off and maybe narrow about the way we talk about even romantic love. We talk about it as something that happens to us. We become passive participants in our own love experience. I fell in love. I fell out of love. I just fell. I stumbled. (laughs) I didn't have anything to do with it. And so that got me thinking about love and intentionality and compassion and humility and empathy as diversity, equity, inclusion, and specifically along the lines of social engagement too, like the larger social parameters of it. So I've been reading some really interesting stuff. I was reading Bell Hooks all about love, even as she passed. Mm. Um, So I had been reading it for like the second time through when I heard news that she passed. So if you're looking for more, please check out Bell Hooks all about love. Also, I've been reading Luce Irigaray's The Way of Love and I Love to You. They're both feminist theorists and Bell Hooks takes an approach through black feminism about love being the space that you create to really rehumanize other people. Mm. And the emphasis is that society, just by its nature, social institutions, by their very function, dehumanize people. They took the, take the individual person and turn them into a student among many students. They take the individual worker and turn them into a worker among many workers. They take the individual social subject and turn them into a social subject among millions. So there's not much emphasis on the individual, not much emphasis on the things that make them human. And love is the opportunity that happens either in relationships, one-on-one, or in groups, or even in social institutions where you intentionally make the choice to try to rehumanize people who've been dehumanized by society. And You see how this kind of changes away from the way that we normally talk about love and whether no, regardless of the types of relationships that you think of the characteristic where there's love happening are the ones where I intentionally create the opportunity to rehumanize. And I I call it making the environment for mutual self-actualization. I'll say that again, making the environment for mutual self-actualization where I learn more about myself And I actualize more of myself than I could on my own. But I also provide opportunities for others to do the same. And think about the most cliche of, let's say, uh, uh, partnership, partners in love, the most cliche engagement. 
sitting down for dinner and saying, well, how was your day? What happened? And something as small as that, and oftentimes it's maligned in movies and in pop culture is, uh-oh, you know the relationship's on the rocks because now they have nothing to do but sit down at dinner and talk about how their day was. But there's something really profound to that. It allows me to simply go beyond going through my day as a mindless worker, as a mindless passenger, as a mindless citizen. And it provides the opportunity for me to reflect. How was your day? It's not just simply what happened, but how did you feel about your day? What were your thoughts? What did you learn? And it allows me to actually learn myself, to be reacquainted with the feelings, the fears, the hopes, the dreams, the angers, the passions, the likes, the dislikes that make me a human that we often have to check at the door when we enter any social situation of a social institution. So that's really important. But I would say the highest thing and the hardest thing, but also the highest virtue of love is the celebration of self-actualization that is divergent, that is divergent. It's not, I love you and I want you to become just like me. It's no, there's things about you I do not understand. There are things about you maybe that I do not even appreciate and would not be, but I do not want you to become like me. I want you to become more like yourself, even as I don't understand it, because I know it makes all of us better. So you don't have anything to say about that. No, I think it's so important though, everything that you said. And I think maybe just going back and kind of pulling a couple of things Mm -hmm. out that you, that you mentioned, I think one of them is just this idea of self-actualization, but also of giving other people space. You know, I can't tell you how many times we've had conversations where, uh, you know, somebody will say, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Great. And you keep it moving. But you, you have those same conversations and maybe we, we say, you know, we're in the Midwest. We say, you have to ask at least two times, right? So you say yeah. like, how are you doing? Good. No, no. How, how are you doing? What, what, how was today? What happened today? And then you get somebody's real reflection. How often yeah. we like have these like passing moments where we're asking, but not really asking. Right. right. And, and what's the difference between those, those two times. So I think that's one really cool thing, right? Like this idea that we can make the space for people to see themselves, but also to be seen. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's really cool. I think another thing that you, you know, talked about is just this idea that love is like an umbrella yeah. of all the other things that we're talking about. Right. When you feel like you're included, Hey, I feel a little bit loved, right? When somebody feels like, oh, you know what? I get to use the same tools as the other people who are around me. And I know that somebody is invested in my success. I mean, that's equity. I feel loved. Yeah. Right. When somebody says, you know what? I I like the way you move. It's different. I've never seen anybody move like that before, but I like that. I feel loved. And so I think that that's really a cool Concepts. I just wanted to pull those two apart. One, the umbrella of how it kind of holds all these things, but two, the fact that it's both giving yourself the opportunity to feel loved, but then making the space for other people to, to feel loved. Yeah. And I think when we think about translating this to the workplace, you've done a good job of kind of pinpointing here's a few things, but even thinking about let's take something as small as the meetings, as the way that we have conversation Mm -hmm. where we don't just simply like Regardless of what it shows up in the Hollywood movies, the relationship is in peril, not when they're saying, how was your day? Oh, look how boring they are. They're not, they're not <laughs> jet setting off to all these other fancy places and having wild times all the time. No, it's not that. It's when the conversation isn't how 
It isn't asking for reflection. It's simply remember to do this. Remember to do this. Here's a task. Remember this. You have to pick up the kids that here. You have to go to your mother's over here when it's nothing but tasks. Mm. And the same thing happens in the workplace. When the only time I'm talking to you is when I want to get work out of you, you're contributing to that cycle of dehumanization where I only recognize you insofar as what you can do for me. And when we work with so many different organizations, people from, it's really interesting how people from so many different social backgrounds and social identities and different places in their DEI journey all gravitate towards, well, at least I want my humanity recognized. Right. Like I would like five minutes at the beginning of the meeting Mm -hmm. or five minutes at the end of the meeting where it's just, so how's everybody doing? Especially in this time of a pandemic especially in this time of economic strain, like we've never seen. And we see this even when it comes to social unrest around these social issues. The organizations that kind of weather different storms of social unrest and social tension the best are the ones who already have built in a practice of, well, I already humanize people. So when there's something about the Black Lives Matter movement, I have an easier time talking to my Black employees about how their experiences, because I've been talking to them as humans for a long time. The organizations who had the most catch up to do is, wait, there's this big political issue that I know is essential to the humanity of so many of my workers, but it's really hard because I don't even know what their partner's names are. I don't even know what their hobbies are. I don't even know what the name of their pets are. So it kind of shows the ways in which we have to work to humanize in the first place also. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the questions that we we've had and we've had conversations about is, well, how do I get people to move in their DEI work from a place of love versus from a place of fear? And I think that that's like, first of all, I think that's a great question. And if you haven't asked yourself that question, I would stop and ask yourself that question, because I think when we do anything from a place of fear, then we're thinking about, you know, compliance and we're thinking about like how I might get in trouble and we're thinking about how I can get hurt. And I think that that's too selfish to be called love. Yeah, too, way too. Right. And I think it gets in the way of us being able to be as creative as we can be right. Like, because then, then that's like the check the box. That's when all those kinds of things come into place. But if we're actually thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we're thinking about it from the perspective of love and not fear, like, wait a minute, how can I make sure that my coworkers, how can I make sure that my team, how can I make sure that my boss or my supervisor really understands I care about them as a human being, right? This other kind of love. We're not talking about romantic love. Remember Justin said, we got to expand our view of what we're talking about for love, but like, I care about you as a human being. And when I start asking that question, all of a sudden, one, I can be way more innovative on the ways that I might approach my diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Two, it's so much more fun, right? Like I actually am like, wow, this is kind of cool. Like how could I show my coworkers and my boss and, you know, the, the other people, the, the clients who come into our spaces, how could I show them that I genuinely care for who, for who they are. And all of a sudden you move from being like the villain in the movie where it's like, rah, 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 how can I, (laughs) you know, how can I take over the world? And to to being like the hero, right? Like, how can I, how can I save the world? How can I collectively make us feel better and and kind of move in a space and move together uh, towards our common goal? And I I just think that's so much more fun. And I think it's really important that you mentioned there that we can collectively move together. Like we don't, In the contrast between selfish compliance, that's really just worried about myself. I don't want to set up love as something completely self-sacrificial. The definition that I gave at the beginning was mutual self-actualization. Yeah, that's huge. Mutual. And you mentioned that it's for the good of the entire group. 
So to go broad for a while, and then I'll go narrow to <laughs> professional application. Like, so this quote has been like haunting me. It's from Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> about the garment of destiny, that in a strange twist of things, I cannot be who I am unless you are everything that you ought to be. Mm-hmm. And conversely, you cannot be who you are unless I'm everything I ought to be that we're tied together. And you can think about the evolution of humans as a species, as an animal. There's very few things that give a rational reason of why we're at where we're at, why we've survived and thrived the way we have, except for that we have something hardwired into our brain that we will, we will go out and we will do all sorts of concessions to try and bring in, to try and incorporate the one, because we recognize in the one even though it's different, even though it's at risk, even though it causes challenges, that there's benefits to be had for the whole group. And we see that even when, we'll go back to the example of the meetings. If you make space for the one person who's really quiet to have an opportunity to speak, if you're anything like me and you're in lots of meetings, the person who does not talk often has the most profound things to say. And if you make meetings, if you coordinate them out of love and say, you know what, we're going to make an opportunity for mutual self-actualization for everyone involved, even the quietest, shyest person. So if they have an opportunity to say something, quite often their idea is the one that changes everything for the benefit of the entire group. I love that too. Like this idea that if we are loving and we're thinking about individuals, it doesn't, it actually helps us do better for everybody. Right. I'll I'll use another analogy here, but I often think about teachers. I'm, I'm a real, if you don't know this about me, I love, love teachers. Right. I, I just, I have so much respect for what they do every day and what they have to do in their classrooms. And one of the things that I have been able to bear witness to right over and over and over again, when teachers really excel in their profession, one of the things that they're great at is being able to identify how I have to teach differently with different mm-hmm. students, right? Like how I have to make sure that I'm individualizing, seeing the child for who they are, their strengths, the areas where they have challenges, being able to help them really gain the, the skills that they need, but also the self-efficacy that they need in order to be able to thrive, right? Like to, in order to be able to, to move forward. And I think it's so cool because if you walk into a classroom where a teacher is on it, like understands what that looks like. Not only is it great for that individual child or the individual children that they're going around and they're supporting, but it's great for the entire collective, right? The entire classroom culture completely shifts when everybody feels like I can show up in class and I can win. And the person who's in charge, right, is is invested in me winning and has made the the understanding of what I need to win that might be different than the person who's sitting next to me. And that's a very awesome classroom to be in. And you know it, right? If you ever uh, get a chance to observe classes, you know it within the first couple of minutes, whether or not a teacher has mastered that and is really like moving in that direction or whether or not that classroom has it. And I think the same thing exists in our teams. Yeah. Right. When a when a when a team understands like our leader cares about us and understands and is is understands who we are as individuals, as a collective, we feel so much stronger. So that's cool. Yeah. cool and we've we've talked that. about all these lofty things. We've talked about <laughs> philosophy, we've written Martin Luther King Jr. Bell Hooks, was Irigura and DEI. But a lot of times people ask, and let's be real, like, how do you, but how do you make this work? And how do you like do it as a married couple? Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. Let's answer it, Justin. Right, go ahead. <laughs> well, I think that one of the biggest things I'll speak just for my, myself on this one, but I think one of the biggest things is that we've been doing this ever since we were young. 
I think one of the things that really pulled us together was the fact that we were both kids who were in a predominantly white uh, school. We were both children of color. And I think that we, in many ways, felt like we had a responsibility to one another. Like, hey, I got your back. I'm here for you. No. I'm still here for you, Justin. <laughs> but I got your back. I, I, I'm, I, you know, we can have conversations that maybe feel uncomfortable in other spaces. So I think part of that was just that as children, we kind of developed that rapport. But I think the other part of that is that a lot of times people came to us with questions, right? Like we, we were doing podcasts before podcasts were a thing on the playground. <laughs> I almost bust into a rap there, but you know, we, we, we were doing this with our peers. We were doing this with our teachers. We were doing this within our communities. And so I think that we also just learned that this was a way that we could come closer together and provide support for one another, but it was also a way that we could really provide service to the world. Justin and I are both service oriented leaders. And so this was like a way for us to show up and use our unique combination of our backgrounds and our experiences and things that we are passionate about to really serve other people. So I would say those are two, two, that's two ways. And I think figuring out ways to celebrate and intentionally hope the characteristics and the other that I don't have, the characteristics you have that I don't have, to not judge them and actually hope that they never change, they never conform to what I am, and that you, the things that make us different remain and thrive. And that I shouldn't want you to be like me, a relationship with two me's would be bad news. (laughs) And even though there's stuff like that I don't understand about how you do, that I celebrate who you are and what you are and what you do and how it makes me better. And that I don't have to have the characteristics that you have. I think oftentimes when we work in DEI and organizations, or even like when we're talking to different relationships, it becomes very easy to see that's different. It's a threat either. Like it should be more like me or, Oh no, I feel insecure because I feel like I should be more like that. No, no, you can be you and I can be me and we're better. We are better as long as you are you and I am me and we are different. And that difference is the source of our strength in that garment of destiny. Oh, am I your garment of destiny? Complete with <laughs> red, 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 hearts on it <laughs> and coconuts. Yes. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I do think that like one of the fun things that we get to do that's actually a huge benefit is we get to practice all of the yeah. things on our like most immediate team, right? We have this awesome team that we're part of with Uplifting Impact and Flying Elephant in our larger community, but we also get to practice on our family team. And mm. I think that that's one of the things that's just been really fun about the practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion is that you can use this stuff, the things that we're talking about in your your professional spaces, but you can also use it in your personal spaces. I think being in DEI makes me a a better partner and I really appreciate that. Yes, and I too. appreciate you. I appreciate you. <laughs> and I appreciate all of you who have been listening to our special in DEI and love podcast. Uh, and I hope that you will join us again. We're so glad that you took some time out of your week to listen to this episode. And hopefully it'll give you a little bit of reframing in the way that you think about DEI and think about your DEI strategy. So if you are like in it, 
and you are really excited about this work, we would ask that you and encourage you to go ahead and share this episode. Also, please feel free to comment on it. We always are looking for people's feedback. We love getting your questions. As a matter of fact, your questions are the ones that spur who we invite (laughs) on for guests. And what we talk about, yeah. it's about love and Valentine's Day, yeah. Yeah, so make sure that you keep your comments coming. You can always email them to us or go on the website and, and reflect them back. Or you can connect with us on LinkedIn, Deanna Singh or Justin Ponder. But until next week, we would just ask that you keep on uplifting the impact. Thanks, everyone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.